Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Fabulous. Excellent. Any lousies? No lousies? I don't believe it. <clears throat> I would like to start out this morning by reading you a children's book. Is that all right? Uh, the, the book is called Fortunately. I grew up with this book when I was a kid. Anybody else have any idea? Wow. Okay, I was in my own little world. Um, but uh, you'll see the point of this in a minute. I wish I could show you the pictures as I went, but it's too far out there. And So I'm just going to read you the story. <clears throat> Fortunately, one day, Ned got a letter that said, please come to a surprise party. But unfortunately, the party was in Florida, and he was in New York. Fortunately, a friend loaned him an airplane. Unfortunately, the motor exploded. Fortunately, there was a parachute in the airplane. Unfortunately, there was a hole in the parachute. Fortunately, there was a haystack on the ground. Unfortunately, there was a pitchfork in the haystack. Fortunately, he missed the pitchfork. Unfortunately, he missed the haystack. <laughs> Fortunately, he landed in water. Unfortunately, there were sharks in the water. Fortunately, he could swim. Unfortunately, the sharks could swim too. Fortunately, he came to land. Unfortunately, there were tigers on the land. Fortunately, he could run. Unfortunately, he ran into a deep, dark cave. Fortunately, he could dig. Unfortunately, he dug himself into a fancy ballroom. Fortunately, there was a surprise party going on. And fortunately, the party was for him because fortunately, it was his birthday. <laughs> Does that sound like anybody's life? Isn't that just kind of how it goes? This, and then this, and then this, and then this. <clears throat> it reminds us of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which is where we are going today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 contains that, that famous poem, there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to laugh and there's a time to weep. And, and we could almost say, fortunately, uh, unfortunately. But fortunately, but unfortunately. We want to dig into this passage in chapter 3 today, um, so take your Bibles. I want to review uh, quickly uh, last week. Uh, we set the stage last week for Ecclesiastes. We looked at the first two chapters, and uh, we are in week two of our 10-week summer series on Ecclesiastes. Uh, we saw last week that Solomon, as he writes this book, is processing his life. He's looking back over uh, his life. He's probably an old man at this stage in time. And so he's looking back at all the things he tried, all of the experiments, all of the money he spent, all of the things he built, and, and realized that, that so much that happened in life, so much didn't make sense, and it was in, it, we used the word incomprehensible to explain and to try to, well, not to explain, but to describe some of those things that happen to us in life that we just cannot make sense out of. And that's how Solomon felt. Solomon um, just, just kind of gives us this sense that life is incomprehensible. And so he comes to this final conclusion in chapter 12 and verse 13 where he says, 
when all has been said and done, when all has been heard, as I look back over my long life and all the things I did, here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. Worship God, fix your eyes on him, and obey his word. In other words, apart from Jesus, life makes no sense. All our attempts at finding satisfaction and meaning in the things of this earth will leave us empty. Even those of us who know Jesus, even those, those of us who, who follow him and live for him, sometimes life makes no sense. Sometimes things happen that are just incomprehensible, right? And it's the unfortunately side of things. So today we're continuing in chapter 3. You need your Bibles? Uh, I don't know if there's anybody to pass out Bibles or not. Yes, there is. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll bring you a Bible. Turn to Ecclesiastes. Um, okay, last week I gave you an assignment. How many of you read Ecclesiastes in one sitting this week? Three. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I did say you had ten weeks to do it. So uh, we'll just keep checking up on that. So, so your assignment during this, the remaining nine weeks of the series is to read the entire book of Ecclesiastes in one sitting. Ecclesiastes is subject to a lot of misinterpretation. We can pull out verses and get all kinds of heresy and error if we aren't careful. And so by reading the whole book through in one sitting, I think it's, it, it gives you the flow. It gives you all of this up and down stuff, and then at the end you see Solomon's conclusion. So uh, keep working on it. Uh, our text today deals with time. Verses 2 through 8 that, in that great poem, the word time occurs 28 times. So what is time? How would you define time? As you're sitting there, think about a definition of time. What is the purpose of time? How do we grasp time? Can we live outside of time? What would life be like if there was no time? That's incomprehensible. You'll blow a fuse if you think too hard about that. We use the word in so many ways. We say things like, I don't have time. We say, what time is it? We say, you're on time out. We say, I need more time to finish that project. We say, time is up. What do we mean? What, what are all these phrases? Augustine was an early theologian, an early church father. He lived 1,600 years ago or so. And he said this, I understand the concept of time up to the point where someone asks me to explain it. And I think we'd agree with that. I think we would all say, I understand time. But as soon as you say, explain it, we're stuck. Let me suggest to you <clears throat> this morning that the purpose of time is to provide a setting for us to worship God and to reflect his glory. The purpose of time is to provide a setting for us to worship God. And so what I want to do this morning is look at four thoughts or four principles or four, four ideas that come out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, about how time works, about how, how life works, about how, how life and time work together. So let's, let's jump into these four, these four principles or these four truths. First of all, God has ordained the times of our lives. God has ordained the seasons, the events, 
the minutes, the years, God has set them up. Look at verses 1 through 8. I want to read 1 through 8 of Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Boy, what a... What a beautiful poem written by the Holy Spirit through the mind and the life experience of the man Solomon. This poem captures so much of how life works. There's this flow and there's this sequence to life. There's times and seasons for all kinds of things. And we've, we, we, we go through these seasons, we go through these times and we experience them. We're born and the times of our life begin. There are good times, there are celebrations, there are victories, there are achievements, there is recognition, and time keeps marching on. There's hard times, and there's defeats, and there's sorrows, and there's loss, and there's failure, and there's grief, and time just keeps marching on. Each day we wake up older than we were yesterday because time is advancing. We can't go backwards, we can only go forwards. It's impossible for us to stop time or to control time. We can't determine if the, future, the time in the future will bring a victory or a defeat. We have no idea if the rest of today holds some great celebration or some great sorrow. There are births and weddings and there are funerals. 28 years ago today, there was both a grief and a, and, a, and a celebration in our life. 28 years ago today, our first daughter was born, our only daughter. We just have one. Today's her birthday. And on the day she was born, my wife's aunt died. And I remember thinking on that day, what a poignant reminder of the cycles of life. One is born, another dies. And every day, that cycle continues. Our time on this earth averages 70 or 80 years. Some have more, some have less. Usually when it's a lot less, it's tragic. But that's how it is. We live in this life, and, and we can't determine what will come in the future. My dad often told us, uh, when we were kids, I don't know why he did it when we were kids, because it's kind of morbid, but he, he often told us that his dad, my grandfather, died at around age 80, and his uncles died at around age 80, and his grandfather, my great-grandfather, died at around age 80, and so dad told us, guys, I'm going to die around age 80. It's just kind of, it's in the DNA, it's in the genes, that's what's going to happen. 
My dad died at 83. So I say, okay, I'm a descendant of all these people. Um, <clears throat> I've got 23 years left, more or less, which means my life is two-thirds over. Where has the time gone? If you're, on the, uh, if you're past the middle hump of life, or even if you're not, don't we all look around and say, where has the time gone? How did it go so fast? I, I can remember holding my newborn daughter in my arms like it was yesterday, and she's 28 years old. What has happened? Where has time gone? Each of these events in the cycle of life, and this is our point, provides a unique setting for us to worship God. We worship God differently at a funeral than we do at a wedding. We worship God differently in sorrow than we do in rejoicing. But God gives us the seasons and the times of our life so that we can continue to grow and learn how to worship Him. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. We can't change the times and the seasons by working hard. What is in God's plan is in God's plan. What he has ordained, he has ordained. What gain has the worker from his toil? After this poem about there's a time for all these different things, then Solomon says, you can't work to change these seasons. He's seen the business that God has given to man, and it's to live our lives in and through these seasons. You can't add one minute, one event, one season to your God-ordained days by trying. You can't take away a single minute or a single day or a single season or a single event by trying. Jesus said in Matthew 6, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? In fact, if you worry too much, you'll probably subtract some hours from your life. But we try so hard to maximize the good events and minimize the bad events, right? Anybody else besides me? Yeah, I mean, we do. But we can't. I mean, how do you do that? Because there is a time for every season under heaven. You know, you can, you can exercise and you can eat right and do all those good, healthy things. And you'll still die when your time comes. I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of our bodies and our health. That's not my point. My point is, if you're trying to prolong your life with all that, it may or may not work. I had a good friend who was a health nut. He exercised, and I'm using past tense here, so you know it's coming. Um, he exercised, he ate right, he did these body cleanses, he used certain kinds of shampoo because the poisons from other shampoo got into his hair and it went down into his brain or something, I don't know. He just would, he was fanatical about it. And in his early 50s, he died of a heart attack. So I have simply sworn off eating right, <laughs> exercising, using good nutrition, because I want to live longer than that. You know, there is so much comfort in the truth that God has ordained the times of our lives. 
That should be comforting. Because things don't think th- things don't things never blindside God. They might blindside us, but they never blindside God. This setback, this cancer, this flat tire, this w- broken relationship, this did not catch God off guard. He has you right here in the palm of his hand and he's taking care of you. And his purpose is that we learn to worship him in all of these events, in all of those hard times, that we reflect his glory, that we learn how to worship him in this season and in that season. There's never a season or a time in our life when we're not supposed to worship God. Oh, we, we can, we have, we've got a buy on this one. No. No, God... God wants us to learn to worship him well. So, so the first principle here is that God has ordained the times of our lives. Second principle is that his plan is perfect and beautiful. There is a beauty and a perfection to his ordering and working in your life and in my life. Verse 11 of our text says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything is ordered. The tapestry of life, the tapestry of your life, the tapestry of my life is beautiful. And you might look at your life and go, ha ha, no, you don't know my life. I don't need to. I know it's beautiful because God has ordered it and designed it. And that includes all the different times and the hard times. It includes the failures and the rejections. It includes the victories and the celebrations because there's a time for every matter under heaven. All of those times are part of God's tapestry in your life. And as he weaves it all together, it becomes a beautiful picture and a beautiful portrait. If you say your life is not beautiful, then what you're doing is is you're thumbing your nose at the artist who designed and orchestrated it. Early in our married life, we experienced a a valley, a trauma, uh, one of the most painful rejections, periods and seasons of rejections that we had gone through to that point, and maybe even to this point, I'm not sure. It messed us up for months. Our daughter was two years old. She had no clue, but she was messed up because she sensed the stress in the home. She's, she, she sensed the stress in us. Thirty years later, we, we still reference that season it's a, it's a pillar, it's a marker, it's a, it's a post in our lives that we look back on and, and honestly, we consider ourselves privileged that God took us through that deep, dark valley, especially so early in our life. That black time was and is part of the beauty of our lives. It molded us and shaped us and built us in ways that we can't even comprehend or imagine. And that's true of all of the dark valleys and the dark times and the painful situations that are in your life. God's weaving them together to make a beautiful portrait. Look at this picture up here. What do you see? A mess? You see all those colors and all that? that? Does that remind you of your life? See all those loose ends, all those strings that are hanging out there that aren't resolved, that don't seem to have a purpose? See those black threads that are up and through there? Does that look, 
Does that look like your life? You go, yeah, that's me. It's just a mess. Well, this is how life can look if we look at it with horizontal eyes on here on earth. But let's look at the other side of the tapestry. And that's the beautiful, the beautiful portrait that God is painting and creating and weaving out of each of our lives. The backside looks like a mess, and there are loose ends, and there's strings hanging there. But when we can finally see with clear eyes, that's what we're going to see. And you realize that that beautiful portrait needs black threads. And it needs loose ends on the backside, I guess. I don't do tapestry, but... All, all of that stuff on the back comes together. So be patient. Embrace the seasons of your life because the crown is coming. God's weaving it all together so that we can more accurately reflect Jesus Christ, more accurately reflect his glory. His plan is perfect and beautiful. Third principle that I want to look at here. We must live in time now, but we're to look ahead to timelessness. We have to live in time on this earth. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to look beyond time into the future. Verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 3, I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. Follow along in whatever version you have, but I like how the NLT puts this. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. He has planted the sense of eternity, the sense of living in the future, the sense of another time. He's planted that in our hearts, but, but, and even so, now it's hard because we're stuck on the backside of the tapestry. We see all those loose ends and those dark threads. But we can look forward to that crown because we know it's coming. As followers of Jesus, we live in a different time dimension. And I don't mean like, no, 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 you know, I mean, but we do. We live in a different time dimension. We have to live in the sequence of time of this earth. But we can look forward to the future. We can look forward to the eternity, to eternity. We have to live in earth time, but we can look forward to eternity time. We, we don't know what's up. We, don't know. we can't see the entirety of God's plan. We can't see what he's doing always when my marriage is in trouble or I have a flat tire on the way to work or my kid is dating a jerk. I mean, we don't, we don't know. That's just like, oh, what's going on here? But those times and seasons are in God's hand, and they, and they, they are a setting for us to worship God. Most of us would say, most of us who are followers of Jesus would say that it's in the dark valleys where we tend to spend more time on our face before God and with him. And every time I go through one of those times and I'm on my knees and I'm saying, God, why, why? And I look and realize I have spent more time in the word and with my Lord than I have when things are going well. And I'm sure the answer is more complex than that because God just has it all in control. 
But at least the simple answer is, I brought this trial in your life because I miss you. You haven't been hanging out with me very much recently. So I'm going to whack you upside the head so you come running to daddy. And we do. And as we do that more and more and more, we, we start to look to the future. Set our hearts and our minds on things above. Colossians 3.1, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. God brings those different seasons and times in our life to remind us that this is a fallen world. That we are here for a time, but there is a better day coming. And we should live in light of that better day. My father-in-law had a very strong sense of eternity time. He loved people. He loved helping people. He loved serving the church any way he could. But he longed to go home. Especially later in his life, he would, he would tell my wife, I don't know why God is keeping me here. I just want to go home. This is an interesting weekend because it was nine years ago tomorrow that God took him home. So again, the seasons of life, birth, death. Thankfully, he passed that sense of living for eternity onto his family, onto my wife. We passed it on to our kids. If you talk to Dawn very long, you'll just and ask her, you know, do you want to go home to heaven? Uh, you'll, you, you'll get an answer. She tells the story. I don't remember it, but she tells the story of uh, when our son was six or seven years old. They were in the car, and, and he said, Mommy, I want to go home. And she said, well, we'll be there you know, 10 or 15 minutes. We're on our way. He goes, no, no, I don't mean that. I mean, I want to go home. It's like, wow, a six-year-old? God has put eternity in our hearts. C.S. Lewis wrote about a longing that followers of Jesus have in their souls. Uh, we have this longing that nothing on earth can satisfy. It's what Solomon experienced. When he, he tried to, sat, to be satisfied with all these different things, all these experiments. C.S. Lewis said this. Look at this quote up here in the screen. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you feel that? Are you anxious to go home? Are you anxious to get out of this life? And I don't mean, you know, suicide or something, but are you anxious to just, just Lord, take me home? Solomon scratched every itch, satisfied every longing, pursued every possible earthly desire, and none could satisfy. And at the end of his life, as he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, I think he, he looked back and he said, I was made for another world, so the only answer is to fear God and keep his commandments. Lay up treasures in heaven. We've got to live in this time, and I don't think we should sell our house and go sit on a hilltop waiting for Jesus to come back. I think we should be busy about the work that he's called us to do. And as long as he's given us days and life on this earth, we need to work for him. Because if he wanted me to die at 40, I'd be dead. 
I'm still here, so he must have something else for me to do. And if you're 90 and saying, What's, what is he waiting for? He's got work for you to do. And he will keep you here until your days are done, and then he will take you home. And that's his prerogative. The fourth principle about life and time. We worship God by enjoying each of the minutes and the years and the seasons of our life. We worship God by enjoying, by embracing, by maximizing each of the times that God gives us. Whether they're good times or hard times or bad times. We saw this last week at the end of chapter 2. Where, where Solomon said one of, one of his conclusions beyond fear God is also to um, enjoy what God's given us, the life he has for us. We see it all through Ecclesiastes. Solomon is definitely telling us that life is found in Christ alone, but he's also telling us that God has given us good things on this earth, and nothing pleases him more than for us to enjoy that which he's given us. You ever given your child a toy and they kind of said, oh, yuck. Was that pleasing to you? As opposed to giving them a toy and they go and their eyes light up and they squeal and scream and go play with it. And you as a parent are satisfied. God's the same way. He's given us all these amazing gifts all these amazing things, and he wants us to enjoy them, and when we enjoy them, he is glorified. Verse 12, verses 12 and 13. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Be joyful, eat, drink, take pleasure in your work. We're worshiping God when we do that. When you bite into that juicy, medium-rare T-bone steak, thank God that he made cows. <laughs> yes! Worship him. And when you, when you have that plate full of, of uh, uh, sautéed shrimp and garlic butter with Oh, man, thank you, God, that I'm not a Jew and I can eat this stuff. Because they weren't allowed to. And, and for those of you that are married, sex is one of God's greatest gifts that he's given us. Satan has so distorted it, but he's given it to us to enjoy. And I say this with all reverence, make love to the glory of God. It's a gift that he's given us. When we complete a project, when we finish a quilt, when we paint a room, when we build a house, when we rebuild an engine, whatever it is you do, rejoice in the beauty of that, that God has given me hands and a mind and the ability to create this thing. When we watch the ocean, when we watch a hummingbird, when we listen to a concert, we should worship God. We should enjoy those things. Don't think, no, 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 I've got to work. I can't go to that concert. No, go to the concert. Listen to the rise and, and, and fall of the music and say, thank God for creating these sounds in my ears that can, that can do that. We need to learn to be still. We need to learn to sit and stare at the ocean. 
Sit and stare at a flower. Sit and stare at a painting. And in that setting, worship God. Thank you, Jesus. He's given us stuff in life to enjoy. And it's not wrong to enjoy those things. It's not wrong for us to take time to be still and to rest and to relax and worship him in those times. In God's economy of life, he has ordered the times and the seasons. There, there's seasons for each and everything. Expect those seasons. You know, you know, you might get to a point where everything's going well and you think, good, finally, everything's going well. Well, you know, don't wait for the other shoe to drop. I mean, that's pessimistic, but there's times and there's seasons. But enjoy your life each day, every day. Enjoy grocery shopping. Enjoy your dentist visit. Worship God. And when you're sitting there in the dentist chair, be thankful that you don't live 150 years ago where they gave you a shot of whiskey and a pair of pliers and yank. It's like, thank you, Jesus, for Novocaine. <laughs> I mean it, everything. And go grocery shopping. Thank you for a grocery store where I can just pull stuff off the shelf into my cart. I'm not out in the hot sun planting it and weeding it and harvesting it. Because I have to, not because you enjoy it. Don't live for tomorrow. You know, we say, I can't wait till I'm married. And then, I can't wait till we have kids. And then I can't wait till the kids are out of diapers. And then I can't wait till the kids are out of the house. And then I wish the kids were back. You know, we're all, don't live for tomorrow. Embrace today. Today is a gift. And if you're grieving or if you are suffering or if you're in pain, today is still a gift. We as a family tried to embrace every season of life. Obviously, some were more enjoyable than others, and we have our favorites, and Dawn's favorites are different than my favorites, but, but we, we tried to enjoy each season. As I look back over 30 years of marriage, raising two kids, living in a lot of different places, I really feel like that we sucked the life out of every stage of life. And I have no regrets. And I look back over my life and I say, you know what? I don't feel like, oh, of course there's always things we could have done better. But I don't feel like I wish we'd done more than. And I want to keep living that way till the day I die. Energy's getting, you know, it's reducing. <clears throat> Is that a nice way to say that? Uh, I can't do the things I did when I was 30, but that's okay. I could do the things I can do today. So enjoy today. Live life right now. Embrace every season, every time, including the hard times and the griefs. If we don't do that, it's like we're saying to God, I don't like what you've designed for me. And sometimes we say that. I do. I don't like this particular part of your plan, Lord. But I accept. And I'm going to worship you in it. And you've got to show me how because I'm not feeling it. That's okay. Look at verses 14 and 15. And I want to read this from the New Living Translation also. And I know that whatever God does is final. 
Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before, and what will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Focus on that phrase in 14. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Underline it. If you write in your Bibles and you should, underline it. All of these seasons, all of these times, all of these years that we have on earth, this 70 or 80 years of time, God's purpose is that we learn to worship him more and more and better and better. Everything that happens in our lives is designed as a unique setting for us to learn to worship him in a different way. Designed for us to become more like Jesus and reflect his glory. Maybe you don't like the season you're in right now. Ask God to help you enjoy it. How, think about how this season helps me reflect his glory. So what's your story? What is your fortunately, unfortunately story? I encourage you to write it out. Or at least think it out. Maybe over the last couple months or year or maybe over your whole life. Fortunately, I was born. Unfortunately, I didn't like my parents. Fortunately, I got to stay at the neighbor's house across the street. I mean, whatever your story is, just start going back and forth. This would be a great thing to do with your kids. I think this would be a great exercise for family worship time. To have your kids write out their fortunately, unfortunately story and use it to show them that the seemingly disjointed events of each of our lives is actually, those events are actually weaving together a beautiful story that is unique to each person. Life is lived in time. And there's a time for every season. Life brings it all. Laughter and dancing, weeping and mourning, and everything in between. Sometimes life is just plain boring. And that's part of the times and the seasons too. The purpose of all these times is that we might fear God, worship Him, focus on Him, love Him more, reflect His glory. And so ask yourself this morning, are you doing that in the season that you are in right now? Lord Jesus, please, apply your word to our hearts. Let us each hear from your spirit what it is we need to hear. May we, may we leave here with an eye to worshiping you today, this season, this event, this trial, this difficulty, this victory. Lord, may we fix our eyes. Jesus, as we, as we look into your face, as we stare at you, as we gaze at you, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim. As we look forward to the day that we will see you face to face in your presence. In Jesus' name.